excruciating pain in the ER. And what I recall occurring was, I, for the first time in my life, realized that the body has a mechanism to be able to take care of itself when it is in excruciating pain. I had previously been told that more than likely I was experiencing an ectopic pregnancy and we were um, able to notice it early on in an ectopic type of situation. While I was in the ER, in that pain, my body suddenly stopped allowing that pain to be felt. So I went into shock well before I was able to get any pain medication, even though I had been begging for it because of the excruciating pain. While I was in the ER, what they put me through were the usual tests that they would do for a woman that might be presenting similar to miscarriage type of experience. And I do know that when I went in, I mentioned that I had been told by my doctor more than likely I was experiencing um, early signs of ectopic pregnancy. Uh, but for some reason, they didn't seem to probably acknowledge that now that I think about it. So what they did was they did an ultrasound while I was in the ER. And um, the thing that I'll never forget was that when I was finally able to see the doctor, the doctor basically said to me, listen, lady, you're having a miscarriage. You're just going to bleed. Just go home and take care of yourself. Welcome to Health Stories, interviews inside the healthcare system. I'm Nicole Deffenbaugh, Clinical Communications Specialist. As we approach 16,000 downloads since we first started in June, we'd like to thank you, the listener, for supporting this podcast. You can like us or leave a message on Facebook at Health Stories Podcast, or find all of our episodes on iTunes, Google Play, and at Nicole Deffenbaugh.com. That's N-I-C-O-L-E-D-E-F-E-N-B-A-U-G-H dot com slash blog. We are taking a holiday break starting December 21st, and we will be returning on January 12th of 2019. On today's podcast, we have Dr. Jennifer Maury Hawkins. She is an assistant professor of communication studies and a health comm scholar. Her primary research focuses on narratives of early pregnancy loss and she is joining us today on Skype. So welcome, Dr. Hawkins. Thank you. So, um, wow, what a, a, what a heartbreaking story of being in so much pain, and then as you're leaving, the doctor just sort of sounds like casually says, by the way, you're having a miscarriage, just go home. What was that like? Um, it was rather infuriating. I don't know if it becomes more infuriating years later as I look back on it too. Um, but what was so difficult about it was I knew, like I had a doctor that had told me previously that I had the symptoms of potential ectopic pregnancy and that I shouldn't leave the area uh, more than an hour away from my major medical uh, location. And it felt like they didn't even listen to me when I went in and told them that, like that somehow or other that doctor did not know that potentially um, or more than likely another doctor had already said that I had uh, signs, potential signs of ectopic. Ectopic is kind of tricky because it has to be watched. If you 
in my in my situation now, I, I've studied, I've met other women that have had, I've, I've heard stories from women that have had the emergency only ectopic situation where they found out at the time when it was going to potentially um, end in a very, could be fatal situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in my situation, I was able to recognize some signs early on that seemed as if they were ectopic but couldn't be proven until later on, so it had to be watched. Mm-hmm. And so it was just really frustrating to have, it seemed like they didn't hear that when I went in. Like a woman who's been told can't report something that is true to her situation. Yeah. Just felt really discounted. And it also felt like because of, um, I had previously had other types of losses early on in pregnancy. And so even if it were only just a miscarriage, the idea of that being so passed off, mm-hmm. whether or not it was miscarriage, whether or not it was ectopic, was, um, I think has room, I understand it was the ER situation, so they have a lot that they have going on, but I think there's a lot of room for um, maybe different ways to handle that. Yeah. For our listeners who may not know too much about ectopic pregnancy, can you tell us sort of a, you know, briefly what that is? Well, an ectopic pregnancy, again, I'm not, I'm not an expert in this, but um, an ectopic pregnancy is a pregnancy that presents outside of the normal area for a pregnancy to grow. Most of them actually do end up in a um, fallopian tube. I do know that it, um, I've looked up in the American uh, Family uh, Physician article uh, had mentioned that 19.7 per 1,000 pregnancies in North America um, are from um, ectopic, and that it's actually the leading cause of uh, maternal mor- mortality. So, I mean, oh, these are very, very, very serious situations. And yes, and you know, let me back that up. It's in the first trimester, okay. within the first trimester of a pregnancy. Okay. So this is the first time you had had an ectopic pregnancy? Correct. Yeah, yes. okay. I've only had one, yes. Okay. Um, so tell me a little bit more about, um, can you can you sort of go back a little bit to when you were informed that you had an ectopic pregnancy and what that was like for you when you were told? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I had called a doctor in the middle of the night because I had woken up, literally I had screamed. I woke up screaming out like and shot up straight out of bed sitting up and the pain was so intense that I had on my right side that all I could think of was like, this is either an appendicitis or this is an ectopic pregnancy. And the only reason why I knew anything about ectopic pregnancy is because I had had two early miscarriages previously and had done a lot of research online and all of that to see and had known that there's other types of early pregnancy items that can occur. Um, And because of the very, very sharp piercing pain I mean, it was like nothing I'd ever felt before in my life. And I knew that I'd had a positive pregnancy test. So I called my doctor, and they they got him on the phone immediately in the middle of the night. And he literally said to me, um, I said, I think I'm having an ectopic pregnancy. It was like I knew. I didn't think. And and he said, well, um, you know, we really can't know that for some time. And what you can do is you can take some Tylenol and, you know, try to go back to sleep, put a heating pad on. Um, you know, we really can't know anything. We'll probably um, call back tomorrow. We'll get you in to do some HCG testing um, to test your hormone levels um, for the pregnancy. Oh, 
Okay. And um, so it, it was excruciating pain. Did you take some Tylenol and went to bed? I did do what they said and it did work a little. Um, and then like what happened was is throughout that time, um, for over the next period of weeks, I would go in and I'd have HCG tests done where they would see that the, the hormone levels were rising and the report from the nurse would always come back a little bit lower than what I was looking at online, which of course sometimes we must be careful of what we look at online. But um, oftentimes, and I just felt like this inner feeling like I knew and they would, it was very lovely that they would try to be very positive that this pregnancy might be okay and all of that. But I really felt like something was wrong because those numbers always came in just a little bit lower than what they should. They were increasing, but a little bit lower than what they should, which kind of would indicate something could be ectopic, right? Because you have something growing, but it's not at the rate that it might be. So where is it growing? What's going on? Um, yeah. So when did you finally get the diagnosis? And so a number of weeks after you woke up in oh. excruciating pain? Well, this is this is interesting. So, um, so that 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 first piece of when I was at the ER. So, in between all that time, then there was that time I, I actually had some excruciating pain at work again. I actually told my colleagues that I was having an appendicitis because I didn't want people to know my personal issues that were going on. Um, and then we went to that ER, and then that ER setting experience occurred. But it still wasn't far enough along. So, what I did after that ER, and I got sent home. I called my OB, my main OB, and I told him what happened, and I told him how upset I was about the situation. And my OB told me, he said, well, Jennifer, I was telling you to go to the ER, but I wanted you to go to our ER, not a different ER. What had happened was is my colleagues took me to the closest ER, which at the time I was in such excruciating pain, I really didn't care. I didn't really think that, like, it might be better if it was at my healthcare system, right? Mm -hmm. So that was something that maybe I didn't clearly understand when my doctor had told me that. Like, if I had... He just had told me, don't ever leave the area more than an hour away from the hospital, and whatever you do, you know, um, if it gets really bad, you'd come to the ER. So um, that was uh, something that happened. But when you would ask me, like, when did I actually know for sure, what's really interesting about that is, um, so the blood levels were always kind of going up and down and up and, uh, not up and down, but, like, not up enough. And I'm, they told me at the time because I, I might have been like four weeks pregnant or something when that first painful item happened in bed, or it might have been three weeks. I cannot re- recall, quite frankly. Um, but the doctor had told me that we wouldn't know. It would have to be watched until about week eight or nine. Um, so we wouldn't know for sure until week eight or nine. So I believe it was about week eight or nine that I went into my my normal <laughs> OBGYN's office, and uh, they took some tests and it was the HCG levels that made them realize that more than likely, and because of the bleeding, it was kind of like what I call it as a slow leak. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like a slow bleed. Um, so it wasn't like a major amount of blood, but it was sometimes just a little bit of blood. And um, when they told me, they said, you know, you have some options. And actually, my partner was with me at the time. And so we were told we could either have a laparoscopic surgery or I could um, utilize methotrexate. And the way they explained methotrexate was that it was sort of um, a a medication that normally would go in and kill cells that were multiplying. Um, And so it would go in and and attack the ectopic pregnancy and get rid of it. But that sometimes it doesn't work and they need to monitor it, in which case um, then laparoscopic surgery might be needed anyhow. And I... Um, 
they left the room and they said, we were, you know, we're, we're happy to give you a little time to think about this. And then, you know, I cried of course. And my, my, my partner held me and, um, you know, we, we kind of talked about what we had heard as far as what we thought would be, um, the best choice for us. And, um, at the time I felt like I just wanted it to be over and I didn't want it to be anything that I had to continue waiting and seeing about. And, and I didn't want something to sort of work. Um, also the idea of putting a chemical into my body, um, didn't seem like it was what we wanted. So I, um, chose laparoscopic surgery. The reason why it's interesting is it wasn't until after I talked to the surgeon who wound up not being my doctor. My doctor was out of town, but I had such good care at that hospital that I actually was not afraid that it was a different doctor, which I think really has a lot to say with my trust in that system and the trust in the care that I'd gotten holistically from that office. Um, but it wasn't until after the surgery, which this is, I, I don't mean to, I, I probably should be careful about sharing this. I don't want to frighten people, but it wasn't until after the surgery occurred that they literally knew where it was. Like they didn't even know where it was until they went in. And that was kind of interesting to hear after the fact. Um, but that when they went in, they did find that it was in my right fallopian tube. They had confirmed it. I think they thought for sure the, the majority of them do occur in fallopian tubes. So um, I think they thought that that might be the case. Um, and prior to surgery, the doctor said that they would go in and try to take it if it was in a tube um, and take it out of the tube but save the tube for future pregnancies. And I remember literally saying to him, listen, I've had enough miscarriages that I don't want the tube. Like if it's destroyed and could increase potential future ectopics, I don't want it. Like I'd rather not have this happen again. And they were like, well, well, we'll keep it. And so mm -hmm. it was after the surgery was over that, you know, I mean, it was always kind of confirmed because of the numbers, but then they really didn't know where it was in there, which I, I found very interesting. Um, and I mean, it's so small, it, it makes a lot of sense after the fact, but, um, and so when they went in, uh, it turned out that I had trouble and I don't have any kind of um, medical diagnosis with any kind of bleeding issues, but apparently the bleeding was so much that they couldn't just take the ectopic out of the tube. So they did take my whole tube and, um, they had to cauterize, they said a lot. So like, I guess I have additional scar tissue beyond what someone else might have, uh, and so for years after that, sometimes I would get pain there regularly. Mm -hmm. So like after the fact, it's like, hmm, maybe a methotrexate might have been the better option. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you never really know. Yeah. And so I called my doctor the day that that piercing pain was happening, and I was at work. And I had told a colleague of mine, a woman that was older, whose office was next to mine, about what was going on with me early on. Because I know I was told by my doctor that these situations can be very serious. And so I had to have someone at work that would know if say I fell over or I just, I really didn't know what could happen to me, but I knew that it could be very serious. So I felt like I had to have an insider that would know if I needed to go to them. And that day I remember sitting in my office doing work and the pain was just like stabbing, 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 and it just would not go away. And I was eating like ibuprofen, like it was candy. And I, I was thinking this, this isn't right. And so when I called my doctor, my OB, my real OB, he said, get to the ER. Right. And you I went to the closest ER right. versus my, and I, I don't know that, I don't know that 
he clearly said that he are, you know, and I don't think that was a mistake of his, and I don't think it was a mistake of mine either on my part. It just was sort of in the moment what occurred. It also might have been more tricky to tell the um, male colleague who drove me immediately. Um, we, my, the female colleague and I sort of made up the story that it was an appendicitis because <laughs> it was on my right side. Um, and I just really was so embarrassed, too, and it was so uncomfortable to have to try to think about explaining to someone in the moment that type of level of personal um, help. At that time in my life, I did not know that I was going to be sharing these types of stories with everyone, but also <laughs> in the hopes of helping other people going through it. And I, and I want to talk a little bit about that. So your, your research is um, focuses on narratives of early pregnancy loss and wanted to know, um, you know, what stories have you heard from others uh, about ectopic pregnancies uh, and their loss as well that our listeners can, can hear about? Certainly, I have um, two that really stand out and come to mind. Um, one was a woman who actually had it happen at the time of. So I feel very lucky in my situation, but the stories that I have heard have usually been like, it's happening now and it's happening. Like it's closer to the eight or nine weeks. And so they may not have noticed anything previously. Mm-hmm. Um, so one story was a woman that... Um, and actually, I did I did publish a data poem on it in Health Communication Journal. Um, but her story was about going in to the ER at the point of having a major bleed, and she did not, you know, she was she knew she was pregnant, and she did not um, know what was happening though, and was terrified. And when the doctor explained to her what might be happening, he added that oftentimes this happens to women that have STDs, a history of STDs. And this particular woman said, listen, I'm only with my one partner. It's the only person I've ever been with. And so in the moment of also being terrified of losing a pregnancy, here she was basically being told that probably it was because someone had an STD, and they didn't. And she, you know, that was just like an added piece. Um, And then... She was told at that time, you know, we're going to use methotrexate, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And she said that at that moment, it was so overwhelming because all she could think about was, are you sure maybe this baby's going to make it? No, it's it can't really be happening. You know, this isn't really happening to me right now. Like, it was just so abrupt and um, out of nowhere it felt to this woman um, that it was so sudden. Uh, another woman had... Uh, told me she actually was a nurse and she had told me that she was pregnant and she had gone away to away from she said she her normal doctor was in a a city and she had gone away somewhere to visit someone that was out in the country kind of hours away from her major medical facility and she had had this type of excruciating pain and this terrible, terrible pain. And the doctor said, in the bleeding, and the doctor said, just wait and see, and just whichever, you know, you're fine. Just let us know if it becomes more than a pad an hour, that kind of thing. And um, she wasn't really presenting in ways that the doctors would say to come in, but she was a nurse, and she knew, like, something was seriously wrong. And so she just went into the ER and where she was in the middle of nowhere, they literally had to call everybody in 
at night to do the tasks that were needed. So there was nobody really there at the time. So there was like added time and waiting for all the different procedures that she needed. And during that time, she's not sure. She reported she was not sure if the ectopic had exploded while she was waiting, if it had exploded while she was at the house before she went into the ER. Mm -hmm. She doesn't really know. Um, but that hers actually turned incredibly, um, incredibly serious. Uh, and then she had to have like an emergency surgery and, you know, because it, it had, it had blown. Oh my gosh. I didn't know they could, I didn't know they quote unquote blew up. Yes. And that's why, um, that's how that it, 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 it leads to um, maternal, the maternal yeah. and that's within the first trimester again. So, um, so going back to the first story is, is there research that you're aware of where there's a connection between STDs and ectopic pregnancy? Um, well, I, I you know, I, I looked, I've looked, yeah, there, there can be things like pelvic inflammatory disease. There can be, um, STDs can cause, you know, some type of infections within, um, the body that then cause, you know, maybe a malformation or something that could potentially do that. So right. that is yeah. truthful knowledge. Um, what I think, you know, and one of the things that I think is difficult as the person going through it versus the practitioner addressing it is that a practitioner may have the knowledge of what could potentially cause it, but how do you communicate that to the patient in a way that doesn't make the patient feel mm -hmm. like you said, oh, you have an STD? Right. And is this a time to share it too, right? So she's getting informed that she might have an ectopic pregnancy, she might be losing the, the baby at this moment, and this is the time that she's being told what might be some of the factors that caused her ectopic pregnancy, and is that the time to be having that conversation? Correct. Like, what does it matter yeah. at that point? And especially if these are very serious situations, like, they can turn into. Um, I mean, my doctor was very clear with me. Like, you cannot leave the area for yeah. the next until we know for sure. And, and one of the questions I'm, I'm curious before we switch gears here, because um, we're at our halfway point, does anyone actually carry a pregnancy to full term? No, it is not going to make it. And that's also very hard to hear if you're in the ER and someone's like, well, now you're having an ectopic and maybe someone's mm -hmm. never even heard. What does that even mean? I don't understand. Does that mean my, actually the woman said something to the effect of kind of like the idea of, does that mean it's going to be sort of the runt of the litter? Right? Like, is it going to be a smaller child? Is it going to have a problem? I'm fine with that. Like, suddenly all these thoughts go through a person's head when they're trying to make sense out of what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And it's hard, you know, if someone's really got their heart set on having a child, especially in a situation where if they've never heard of what it is before, mm -hmm. you know, that's where I feel like as much as mine was not a great situation, I feel very fortunate. And actually in my situation, because I knew how... Um, dangerous it could be. Uh, it was a situation in my case where I was not as concerned about the loss of the pregnancy because I knew it wasn't going to make it. I knew like there's just no chance that it's going to make it. So I was much more worried about what's going to happen to me. Am I going to be somewhere and am I going to have this explode and am I going to die? Like that was a real concern. Yeah. So looking back at your experiences, uh, I asked my interviewees to, to share their experiences having navigated through the system and wondering if you could uh, offer some tips and insights uh, specifically for those who are given a diagnosis of ectopic pregnancy um, and thinking about the people that the clinicians that you encountered, 
Um, so what are some things that people said to you um, throughout your journey that sort of stick with you? Well, I think when it comes to when I first found out, when I told my, my main OB that I thought I was having an ectopic pregnancy, he, I think it had a lot to do with his demeanor and how he delivered it. My OB was not a touchy-feely OB. I went to him because I wanted to have the best that handled potential problems with pregnancy since I had already had an early pregnancy loss. Uh, and so I think what he did was he told me the truth, which was they really couldn't know. But he did it in a manner that was really soft, which is funny because he really was not much of a soft human. Um, and he also said it in a way where he kind of told me what to be expecting over the next couple weeks. Mm -hmm. Like, I know you're at this week, but it's going to take some time, and this is what we'll do, and this is how we're going to handle it. Um, and, you know, they were always available, the nurses. I never had any trouble getting through, asking a question, any of that, with my main doctor. Mm. Um, with the ER doctor, I think... What was most concerning to me with that situation, and again, I don't work in ERs, so I don't know if this is even a potential possibility, but the idea is, is that I walked in and I said, listen, I think I'm having an ectopic. The, the doctor told me I was having an ectopic. We've been watching it. I gave them full um, sort of a status of what I thought was happening, and so maybe I don't know if they have communication systems where at least the doctor could have said, I understand that you have been being seen or under care of a doctor, your main OB, for an ectopic pregnancy. You know, our ultrasound today confirms that, yes, you're bleeding. Um, it may be that it's going to miscarry right now. Maybe it is just a miscarriage and not an ectopic. However, I recommend you follow up with your main doctor tomorrow. You know, something where it was like acknowledging the information I gave them. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't just walk in going, I'm just bleeding. I don't know what's going on. Right. Right. And then the idea of like, you know, listen, lady, you're just having a miscarriage. So hmm. in a lot of stories that I hear, and and again, I know that it's harder and, and doctors have other things that they need to be concerned about. But in a lot of the stories that I hear, what, what doesn't happen for people that I hear that they need is for the delivery of the message to be given in a way that it's almost like it's not a routine message that they have to say. So I know that must be very difficult. Um, I think about, I had uh, pre, in a previously studied theater and acting, and when you give lines on a stage, you have to pretend that it's the first time you've said it. So I think, wouldn't that be great if the doctor could try to connect with the individual in a way where it wasn't a routine thing that maybe they say a hundred times a week? And I don't, you know, I don't know, but I, I, that would be if I could, you know, that they could connect with that person and just maybe sit and listen with them. Or if they don't have the time for that, make sure that there's someone else in that setting that can actually just listen to the woman's concerns and validate them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, the idea of being very invalidated and not listened to, mm -hmm. um, it, women often feel dis discounted in what's happening. Yeah. What I, what I heard from your first story um, is the fact, and, and we talked about this in another podcast, this idea of hope and triumph and um, 
you know, and especially with pregnancy, I've, I've also heard this from others, this idea that we will save the baby at any cost, it's going to work out, you know, let's be hopeful. And I'm hearing you say that you had a doctor who gave you all of the information that you felt that you needed to hear about what could happen, what might happen, um, and recognizing though that that must be challenging too, especially for somebody who doesn't know. It sounds like you knew a little bit going into the conversation with your doctor that it could be ectopic and you already sort of knew what that was. Um, right. And for others though who don't know, how do you deliver the news of, of it sounds like, um, inevitable pregnancy loss yes. that's going to occur to somebody who both doesn't know what ectopic is and then also is finding out that this isn't going to... This, this, the pregnancy isn't going to come to term. Um, and so I can only imagine how challenging that is um, for many people to hear both at the same time. You're learning about a new diagnosis and that the diagnosis is going to result in pregnancy loss. Yes, and I've, I've even talked to women who sometimes didn't know they were pregnant. So they found out oh. they're pregnant, and then they find out they're losing it in the same second, like within yeah. the same sentence. So they, they're very difficult conversations. One of the things that... Um, I really cannot say enough about, and maybe it's just because of my own experience, but I would also recommend to women to make sure that you know your OB. Like the relationship mm -hmm. between you and your OB is so important. And maybe that's the same for women who have perfectly fine pregnancies that turn out. Um, maybe it's for women that might have some struggles at later points in pregnancy or um, different outcomes. But um, I would really tell women not to not to just um, settle like making sure that I think that that really made the difference for me mm. uh, in in my emergency when it did become because literally the day that I found out yes we know for sure or they thought they knew for sure <laughs> I, I say they thought they knew for sure because it was interesting to find out later they didn't really know where it was I was like how did you even know for sure but they did because of the HCG levels and the bleeding but um they, you know, to, to have them say, listen, your doctor's out of the country, so such and such is going to fill in, uh, you know, that I think could be also another level of, of fear that could go through a person at that type of a emergency. Because they said, you need this tomorrow. Like, it has to happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, fine. Because I had no worry about that entire system, the entire OB office. I knew that those doctors worked well together. I was not afraid at all. Um, you know, the best situation, I, I really just think, yeah, having a good relationship, trusting relationship with your OB is so important. And we've had clinicians come on the show, too, that have talked about that, the importance of continuity of care and trust um, and finding someone. I'm thinking back to the interview on FMLA and maternity leave where she was talking about the importance of having conversations about maternity leave early on. Um, and really establishing a relationship, which can be hard for many people if you don't have an OBGYN or you're new to the area or you don't have one in the area for people who live rural um, or, you know, yeah. far away from a clinic, you know. So um, I, I want to continue um, as we, we near the end here with advice that you started to offer for people who are given this diagnosis. Um, and so that's how we got on the topic of establishing a relationship finding an OB that you can talk to, that you trust, and it sounded like it relieved some of your anxiety because you knew not only your OB, but everybody in the office um, were people that you knew and that you could trust. 
What other advice do you have for people who are given this diagnosis or for people who are pregnant um, and, uh, you know, addressing some of their concerns? Um, well, I think uh, a couple things. So beyond defining the OB in the system that you can, um, you know, trust, you know, advocating for yourself, realizing that if you're experiencing pain or experiencing things to ask is better to than to not ask. It's better to know that perhaps the pain is nothing than to maybe find yourself in the getting to the level of where it's an emergency situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I would say also making sure that you take and write down items that your doctors tell you seriously so, you know, like I didn't leave the area, you know, and that in, in realizing if someone says it's a dangerous situation, really listening to them at times, I didn't feel any pain. Uh, the other thing that I think of just from my research, this is not something I needed to do, but also the point of after loss, I think is something really important to address is, uh, if you don't, if a woman doesn't have, or a, a partner, you know, uh, partnered couple doesn't have support, the importance of really having a support system really makes a difference too in the whole experience. Um, At the time, I didn't tell my family, my parents about my ectopic pregnancy until it became the emergency surgery and we're going in tomorrow. And my parents were so shocked, like, why didn't you tell us? And it was because I had already had some losses and I just felt like very uncomfortable sharing that this could be happening again. Um, my parents fully supported me. They came to the hospital. They said, are we able to come? They're very kind. They didn't, you know, like, they really asked for permission, um, but uh, to be there for my partner and I, and they were. Uh, I have friends and family. I have never had anybody treat me as if there's something wrong with me. Actually, in my mm-hmm. case, we know that medically there's no medical reason, not to say that if there is one that people should feel like that's also something that they should own and have to walk around with a mark for the rest of their life, but I really think social support is so necessary and, and to be heard and to have people embrace you in your story. Um, and what I've gotten from women um, from, from doing this work is that for women that maybe don't have that, um, I've done some research where I've sat in on pregnancy loss groups and support groups, so to know that there are pregnancy loss support groups out there that sometimes meet at hospitals, sometimes they're available online if you prefer to do that or if you're in a place where you can't get to one in person. Um, the other thing that I've had a woman tell me, a couple, quite a few women tell me that they've done is they've gone and seen a therapist or a counselor that has helped them work through that loss and that grief. So I think... I think there's a lot going on with these situations Um, and that to know that your loss is real and that your loss matters at the level that you see it. Um, And that, and unfortunately with first trimester losses, oftentimes our, our world does not really see them in the United States um, at the level that I think people, um, really need to be able to be validated for. And I know that there's other researchers out there, in addition to myself, that are working on this, um, trying to make sure that people realize that this this can be very devastating. Uh, and in, in my research, too, I've, I've interviewed women that lost 40 years ago that still feel the pain of loss. Um, so I think, too, just really realizing that, yeah, while you're in it, there are certain things that you can do um, 
And I think, you know, it probably did help that I had a confidant at work. Mm. Because what happens if I would have had that pain? And yeah. Or what happens if it would have blown at work? Like, I think I was just really concerned that it could have blown because I've heard that that happens. And I was like, someone needs to know that I literally have a health situation that could present at any time. Yeah, my final question very quickly is, looking back, would you have told your former self to confine in other people? And I get this question a lot for people with new diagnoses at work. Um, they say, well, how did you handle that? What did you do? And it sounded like you did find somebody to talk to. Um, looking back, do you wish you would have been more open and told more people about it? Or is it something that, yeah, do you wish you would have confided in others and told more people at work about it? No, not at all. I would not have. I think I felt safest with the woman that I knew was always there. Um, I'm very, I'm kind of personal with stuff, with information. So it that is, I don't think, I don't think it's something that people can understand. And then to have to try to explain it to people at a level over and over again, I think would be much more painful, quite frankly. Um, did your yeah. boss, did your boss know your, your okay. chair? Um, so the woman that I worked with, this was at the time when I was an academic advisor and the woman was an academic advisor and she was always there and she was older and she was a mom and I don't know if she had had losses or anything, but she was really, um, supportive woman. And I told her that I'd had a few losses, but this one was actually a topic and I was concerned and I thought someone at work should know. And then when we went to tell, um, the assistant, I think it was the assistant Dean, um, that this was happening. We just said it wasn't, it was a appendicitis probably. (laughs) And so she went in with me all the way to like the first check-in appointment. She, so in the car ride, I was swearing off my, the top of my head because I was in so much pain and I was trying to try not to swear in front of my colleagues, but they were like, it's fine. It's fine. If you're in that much pain, you're fine. And, but I actually still kept the story going that it was probably an appendicitis because it can be, you know, it's, it's one of those things where they're like, is it everybody's business? Mm. Yeah. And there's so much stigma still on women and pregnancy loss and keeping that story silent that, which is sad because now, like, I know what you're saying, like in your later self, now that I've done this research, would you maybe have done it differently? Um, I don't think so because at that point in my time, I was not ready to tell the world all these things. Um, and uh, even when I wrote my story the first time before it went out to publication, you know, someone had said to me, you have to be ready and willing to have everybody you know read this. Um, and so those were decisions that I had to, I sort of grew into. And then I also had to ask my partner how he wanted that handled, uh, you know, before I would do that. Because it's not just my story, it's our story. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for being on our podcast and for sharing your story with us. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. We'd like to thank our listeners for joining us today. This is Nicole Deffenbaugh with Health Stories.